Welcome to the Hope Story Podcast, where we share resources, encouragement, and hope for families of children with Down syndrome. Here's your host, husband, dad, and founder of Hope Story, Rick Smith. Welcome to the Hope Story Podcast. This is Rick Smith, and I'm really excited today to have a friend on the podcast, Aaron Book Mullen. How are you doing, Aaron? Good. How are you, Rick? Doing pretty well. I'm excited for you to hear from Erin for a few reasons. She's the mother of two girls, one who has Down syndrome, who has battled leukemia. We're going to talk about that. She's also an incredible advocate, and the work she does as a lobbyist in D.C. ultimately helps people with Down syndrome. Erin led the effort with the Global Down Syndrome Foundation to secure the first ever congressional hearing on Down syndrome research where Frank Stevens declared that his life was worth living. Well, that testimony, along with their work with the Congressional champions resulted in a historic and significant 65% increase of Down syndrome research funding at the National Institutes of Health from $35 million in 2017 to $58 million in 2018. Erin has and is doing some incredible work, and I'm excited for you to hear from her today. So Erin, why don't we start with that? What is a lobbyist? What does a lobbyist do? Tell us a little bit about that. Thank you. Um, I think everybody kind of has their impression of what a lobbyist does. They see it, big business and big lobbyists out there. But the truth of the matter is most lobbyists in Washington, D.C., because there's a lot of us, we're not very special. There's hundreds of thousands of lobbyists. They're advocating on big and small things. You know, many lobby for nurses, doctors, teachers, science. And so in this case, I've just done a lot of different things. And we basically help organizations figure out the best way to get their message up to Congress and the administration so that they can hear them. I mean, that's the goal, right, for everybody to be heard. And there's so little staff and so many of us out here that have issues we want them to hear. So it's really about finding the way that they can hear your message, whether that means writing it in the right way, finding the members that are going to be interested, finding a way that they can talk about it where they live geographically. And so that's what we do and we help organizations do. And when I had CC, um, you know, I, being a lobbyist, I kind of thought about, do I want to go out there and use what I do already for a living to advocate on behalf of Down syndrome? And I wasn't sure because it seemed very personal in that first year of having a child. You're so busy. But I had a friend who knew Michelle Witten, the CEO of the Global Down Syndrome Foundation. And he just introduced us over coffee and said, you're a mom, you're a mom, you guys should talk. And I just, I loved hearing what Michelle said about scientific research and how I didn't, I wasn't aware of this yet, but just all the diseases that are, and conditions that our children are just more predisposed to have, whether it's blood cancer disorders, Alzheimer's, autoimmune disorders, diabetes. And it just seemed like these were the challenges we were going to all face. And not only that, it had such a tie to what the general population of America was facing, these, these diseases. And a lot of our, you know, most of our population doesn't get heart cancers. We, you know, and so why are we protected from that? And what could that research do to the larger population and for research science in America? And so, She just pointed out and kind of let me know, and I looked into it myself, on the inequity of funds that were at the NIH for Down syndrome research for whatever reason that was. So we decided. We decided we wanted to have a hearing on it. 
we got Frank Stevens. He really was the powerhouse piece of that. Um, members of Congress were so fascinated and so interested in the fact that the numbers were inadequate and not equal with other research funding that was being done at NIH. And obviously, they also just loved hearing from Frank. So that was huge and had a lot of momentum to accomplishing an increase at the NIH for research into Down syndrome. That's awesome. So I shared that in 2018, the funding for Down syndrome research at the NIH was $58 million, which is incredible. Where is that funding at now? So we continue to do increases. This past December, we had another increase. The NIH just posted numbers for 2020, and that is going to be 113 million. And from our original increase, what they created was a program called Include. And what that means is that it asks every institute at the NIH that has a comorbidity, and that means diseases that also are seen in Down syndrome. So whether that's heart disease, cancer, autoimmune disorders, diabetes, any institute that has those comorbidities with Down syndrome, they give money and find projects and get grant money to do research related to Down syndrome. And so that program has now started at the NIH. It's called Include. And what our goal is, is every year for that to see some increase in funding so that we're never flat in funding ever again. And what that also does, whether you're interested in science or not, what that does is for the United States government and for the country to say that Down syndrome is a priority. It's a priority. We're putting research dollars behind it. We want to make sure they have quality medical care. um, And we want to see that they have every opportunity to accomplish the goals that they have and want. I think, you know, so many parents... My guess is that their child's life is being enriched because of the work that you do and, you know, parents don't even know it. So thank you on behalf of me as a dad of a child with Down syndrome, on behalf of other parents of children with Down syndrome. Thank you for the work that you do. It's really important. And I'm glad that we have you out there advocating for our children and for, you know, for increased research dollars. So thank you. Well, and the cool thing is, I think, you know, obviously I'm in D.C. and it was a interesting just coincidence that I do this for a living, but there are hundreds of moms out there doing it at both the national and really the state level that are incredible, that are that are advocating not only for their child, but advocating for state bills and have been doing the work on inclusion and work on Medicaid and work on organ donors. And each parent can be an advocate in their own way, whether it is at the state level and you're talking to your local government, but just advocating for your one child and being willing to ask questions to doctors that may not be thinking Uh, the way your child's needs affect not only them, but other children, makes you an advocate. It doesn't mean you have to be talking to government. It doesn't mean you have to be writing letters. Just asking questions and being an advocate for your child, it can be groundbreaking. That's true. I mean, yeah, I mean, every, you know, I think that every single parent out there, if you are a parent of a child with Down syndrome, by default, you're an advocate. You know, every day as you're interacting with, you know, friends, family, the community, your teachers, doctors, like you said, you're, in a sense, advocating for your child. And so you don't have to have these super huge highlight reels, like, you know, raising millions of dollars or helping get millions of dollars in funding. You're advocating day to day as you go about your life. And so, you know, we applaud all the parents out there. Well, listen, I want to jump in a little bit. So that is 
the business Aaron. That is the boss Aaron. And it is very boss. You're doing a lot of really incredible stuff. But you're also, when you're not lobbying and doing these really incredible, amazing things, you're also a mommy. And so I, I would love to hear you talk a little bit about your story. If you take us back, you know, when CC, when you learned that CC was diagnosed with Down syndrome, just kind of take us back to that time. Tell us a little bit about her birth story, your, you know, her diagnosis experience, all, all of those things. Sure. So we were diagnosed. She's the little sister. So she's three now. Um, her older sister is five. And we had a prenatal diagnosis around 12 to 15 weeks. And we had the testing done, the early testing done, um, all the genetic testing. And we had waived it before. It's so funny. Uh, we had waived it before because we, we knew we didn't really want it. But I did it this time because I wanted to know if I was going to have a boy so that I could decide whether to keep my clothes from my first daughter or not, or if I had to buy all new clothes. That's That was my purpose in getting tested. Um, but instead, luckily, we got to find out that we were going to have a little girl with Down syndrome. And, you know, our experience, like many, many others, this is not rare. I know that when I when I tell this story, you know, we were encouraged to terminate her. We were encouraged to terminate her about three different times, including pretty late in the pregnancy. And, you know, we were given a lot of misinformation from our doctor that I was pretty astounded by. I'm sure everybody feels that way. You're just kind of like, really? Um, I can't believe this is the information you're giving me. And, you know, we, just, we changed doctors eventually, and then went on to have a much better experience. We had a lot of prenatal work and, and following after that. Once I started going to the children's hospital and seeing a different doctor, we found out about some possible holes in her heart before she was born. And just, you know, I mean, I think just like everybody, whether they find out before or after, you have a lot of mixed feelings. When, you know, there was a lot of fear. How is this going to affect my other child? How is our life ever going to be the same all of those questions we all ask ourselves and you have to wait, you know, to see what the answers are. But we were very excited. We were very, very excited. I couldn't wait to meet her, even though I was scared. And so even though our experience with the doctors was very disheartening and stressful, we were very excited about her. Yeah. And, you know, if you check out our show notes on hopestory.org, I'm going to put a link to a post we did where Erin shared a little bit about her story with her medical professional. And, and it really is, you know, sad and, and tragic that, you know, the doctor tried to persuade you to terminate your, your child and asked you several times, asked you, hey, are you sure you really want to do this? Told you that a, another member of his staff who was very Catholic, you know, terminated their child. And, you know, in a sense, sort of, was sort of pressuring you to do this. And I, and I really admire your courage to say, hey, that's not what we want to do. That's not what we're going to do. I really appreciate that about you because that's, that's a tough thing when you have a doctor that's not giving you all the correct information. And in fact, is even being negative in the way they're delivering the news, that can really be really hard for a parent. Well, I think women are in a very, all families, but women, in, especially when they're pregnant, are in a very vulnerable state. And I think when you, despite what you think, giving being given misinformation is just taking advantage. And then he also cornered me without my husband and asked if this was really what I wanted. And that was pretty late in the pregnancy. So that I think was probably the last straw. I think for any woman who's put in a position to feel like, you know, you're already pregnant, you're already getting this information. And now I'm just so unsure of what I think I already know, but they're telling me differently. It's very difficult. Yeah. And you touched on something that I think a lot of people, you know, we have a nine-year-old with Down syndrome and you know, fear. I mean, you kind of, you, you fear the unknown, you fear 
you know, maybe even these dreams that you had for the child, kind of the imaginary child that you had, you fear the loss maybe of those dreams. But then, you know, then you hold your child, you know, you hold Noah, you you hold Cece, you hold your your boy or your girl and you go, okay, this is now our new journey and we're going to, we're going to roll with it. And you guys certainly have rolled with it. It's been a joy to watch, you know, your family thrive and flourish. So let me ask you, when you receive the diagnosis, what are some of the things that you wish people didn't say to you when they found out that CC was going to be born with Down syndrome? Or what are some of the things that people said to you that were really helpful? You know, I think I still get, and I'm sure we all do, when you talk about your child, whether it was when she was just born or just now, even when I tell people, I still get that I'm sorry. You know, and you smile and you shrug it off and you go, don't be sorry. It's okay. We're good. We're very happy. You know, and I had another friend who cried uh, when I told her. And it was kind of funny because I was handing her tissues while I held my newborn. <laughs> and, you know, and, and that's okay. Nobody knows exactly what to say. But, you know, it's very nice. I think people are well-meaning when they say, you know, you were meant to have her or you were chosen or I couldn't do this, but you could. You know, that's hard but I know people mean well. All you really want to hear is congratulations and can't wait to meet her. I would love to hear that. Actually, when you tell somebody I have a daughter, she has Down syndrome, so we're doing X, Y, and Z, because that comes up a lot. If somebody just say, oh, I would love to meet her or how's she doing, you know, and be interested. Yeah. I think that's a great way to approach it or, oh, when you found out, how was that? Or, you know, um, that's so exciting. What is she like? You know, just something that shows interest. I think um, any way you can find a way to do that is a great way to respond to somebody who has a child or has just gotten a diagnosis of Down syndrome. Yeah, that's good. I like what you said, which is one of the words that I think should be the default for anyone who says, hey, I don't know what to say, or maybe they're searching for words. And and the word is congratulations. I mean, congratulations is always an appropriate response when someone is with a child, always. You know, when I I first talk to somebody who's going to have a child with Down syndrome, you know, I try not to be over-enthusiastic either, you know, hey, congratulations, this is going to be amazing, because I already know it is, you know, (laughs) but they are still coming to terms with how their life is going to be different or how they think their life is going to be different. So, you know, I think it's, it's a moderate and thoughtful response when you talk to someone. That is so good. I'm glad you said that. You always want to have discernment. You want to be, you know, winsome in the way that you communicate and and you want to be sensitive. You always want to be sensitive when you're when you're talking with a mom and especially someone that just got the news and you know their minds kind of going a million miles a minute. And so that that's really great. I'm glad that you touched on that. At Hope Story, we believe one of the greatest gifts for new parents of a child with Down syndrome is a friend who also has a child with Down syndrome and is a little farther along in their parenting journey. That's why we're working to connect OBGYNs with families raising a child with Down syndrome so they can connect their patients with parents who can offer friendship, encouragement, and hope. We call this the Hope Advocate Process. To learn more and to sign up to become a Hope Advocate, simply visit hopestory.org forward slash Hope Advocate. And now back to our show. So as a lobbyist, as a mom, I know your husband also has a really great career and you got two girls. What does a typical day look like in your household? What's kind of a normal nine to five day look like or nine to midnight look like in your house? Midnight? You know, we have a little bit of our day is different than others. Maybe just in that we have the therapy sessions. You know, we might have speech or PT one day of the week 
or we might have a doctor appointment. For example, I have a pulmonary appointment with CC today for them just to check out her lungs. And that's just, you know, carryover from her heart surgery when she was five and a half years old. But really our days are like everybody else's. We work, we go to school. They love to dance together. CC loves books and reading. She loves playing with her sister. She loves singing songs. Most of our day looks like anybody other anybody else's in that we're just trying to get by, you know, with two kids and jobs. And I really mean that. I think people go, no, 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 you're just different. You can do it. Or you're just saying that. And I really mean that our days are just like anybody else's. You know, we're fighting bedtime. We're CC saying no as she runs down the hallway. I mean, her temper tantrum last night about bedtime was phenomenal. And she has no problem communicating that with us. I truly think it looks like everybody else's in that we, but we obviously have those smaller, those, those things that are added in, but so many typical children do too, whether it's speech therapy or um, something else that they're doing, but it's fun. I love it. Yeah, that's good. I, I think people would be surprised to, you know, see how, I guess, quote unquote, typical our family is compared to other families that we're not, you know, our, our life doesn't revolve around you know, raising a child with Down syndrome that we do, you know, typical things. We go to sports games on the weekends and all those things, you know, try to get our kid off YouTube, stop watching so much (laughs) YouTube. Well, listen, there is one area of your life that is a little bit different maybe than a typical house. And we touched on it a little bit earlier. And that is that one of your girls, Cece, who has Down syndrome, was diagnosed with cancer a little over a year ago. Can you tell us a little bit about that part of your story, that part of your journey, what it was like finding out that your little girl who you love was diagnosed with leukemia and then how you guys have walked through that and kind of how things are going today? Sure. I'm happy to. So just for anybody who doesn't, I mean, I think most of us are aware that our, our kids um, with Down syndrome are more predisposed to leukemia. And so, you know, when she turned two years old, we just noticed that she was just a little bit more tired and she started getting the petechiae. Now don't, you know, don't be scared. A lot of our kids get petechiae and that's the tiny little like red dots or red little, I think actually, Rick, the first time I learned about it was a blog you did about Noah before Cece was, you know, even born where you had seen some and had worried about it, but it was okay. Yeah. Noah, Noah gets those a lot. And Cece does too. And a lot of it is just that their skin is more sensitive. And so it's not something to be worried about all the time. You know, you're good. You know, this just happened to be where she'd had a, her typical blood test that they get every six months when they're little and turned up the blood work that she had leukemia and, and her form, it was AML. And so, you know, obviously that was the diagnostic process was probably one of the worst parts of it. It was a lot of unknowns, a lot of waiting, and obviously a little bit of the just okay, wow. And when you get AML, when you have AML versus ALL, you're inpatient. Uh, You live in the hospital for basically through the treatment. You get to go home once in a while, but we lived in the hospital for about seven months for her to go through chemotherapy. So, you know, it looked like this really long road. I'll tell you that all the doctors, the kids with Down syndrome do very, very well with the treatment. They can have a lot of infections and have trouble. They're, They're considered high risk. And so that is why they live in the hospital and why they're in the hospital as much as they are, but they also do very, very, very well with the treatment. The chemo works. So it was hard. And a a huge part of that was having another typical child at home that we had to be with. So it's the life balance too, being in the hospital, being home. That was a lot of the struggle we went through besides just watching her go through chemo. But I think I told you, Rick, one of the things that I think is so interesting, and I'd say 
this is the shocker thing that not everybody would, you know, before you have a trial with Down syndrome, what you don't know. And that is just not only how you have no idea how great it will be, but also just how much it is like raising any other child. And the one difference I think it is, is that, you know, from the very beginning that there will be challenges. It gets rid of, in a good way, it bursts the parenting bubble that you can control everything and protect your child from pain. You know from the start, whereas everybody else might still, like I did with my first child, think I can protect her. She's going to be okay. We're not going to have these challenges. But everyone will face something. And I think in a way, having Cece be born with Down syndrome, at five and a half months, we had open heart surgery. Um, She had a few hospitalizations with some pulmonary issues and infections. And so when we got there, we kind of said, okay, we can do this. And she's incredible. And we're going to fight this too. Um, And so in a little bit of a way, her having Down syndrome prepared us a lot for going through leukemia and battling it with joy because she has so much joy. Yeah, that's good. Let me ask you this, and I'm I'm sure there's probably multiple facets to your answer here, but what were some of the biggest challenges walking through that the last past year? And then how did you get through those challenges? What tools, what resources, what, what helped you get through your child's leukemia diagnosis? Well, I think my best advice, I guess, I don't know if you asked advice really, but I'd say we try to, one thing, and I think this is goes for getting through leukemia and having a diagnosis is taking one day at a time because you can kind of get overwhelmed with the path forward. And we really had to step back and take it every one day at a time stop and be grateful for every moment we got that was good because there was so much of that. There were so many good days that we had where we would all go to the hospital and be together as a family. We'd all, or she would be home for a week and we'd have time at home or just having fun. The nurse, the medical staff that was so incredible and meeting other families. There's so many days of good. So I think taking it one day at a time, being grateful and for us leaning on God and knowing that we couldn't control the situation was a big part of us getting through it every day. You know, you, you, no matter what, you were, your mind's going to go to different places and you're going to worry and you're going to see things in your head and imagine the worst. No matter what resources you have, no matter how grateful you are, your mind is going to go to the worst, you know. And, and even now, you know, we're in remission, but all that means, you know, so she still gets blood work every month and we still have to worry about it until she's about 10 years old. And so it's just, again, taking it every day, not thinking about the next blood test. Yeah. Well, no, that's that's really great. And so you said Cece's in remission. So how, how is she doing today? What's her day look like now? Is she back in school? What's, what's she up to? She is. She's awesome. She's doing great. She's in school. She's dancing. She is all over the place. She runs. We love having her outside. Her speech has just been exploding. She's doing really, really well. You know, she's just she's just like a typical kid and she's having a, and a having a great time and loves being home. You know, we'll get in the car and go somewhere and she says home, wants to go home. She likes being home. She's appreciating that. And we are, too. Well, we're rooting for you guys. We love you guys. And we're rooting for CC and, and so glad that she's in remission and, and we'll continue to follow the story and just really encourage how you guys have journeyed through this. It's It's really a you know, a source of inspiration for for me and I think for other maybe moms and dads who are listening to this podcast who are in a similar boat that you guys were in maybe a year or so ago, that you just take it one day at a time, you know, um, and you journey through it. Life goes on in the sense that, you know, like you said, you have two children, 
your other daughter, she still had to eat dinner. She still had to go to school. She still had to go to soccer practice, if you will. I mean, life goes on and you just try to do the best you can. You lean on your friends, your family, uh, in your case, your faith, and, and you march on. And so I'm really encouraged by your story and rooting for you guys. Well, and we have to, I have to thank you, Rick, just because, because it is a piece of just a thought for people who are diagnosed to have their diagnosis too. You know, when I first found out that CC was going to have Down syndrome, I felt like everything I read was all about what she couldn't do. And if you focus on that, it's scary and it's overwhelming. But reading your blog was the best resource for me because it was a real story. You know, don't be overwhelmed by the information that's out there. Go and look what people are really doing in their lives and how they're living with their children and see their stories. And everybody's story is different and every child's different. So you don't want to compare, but it is so inspiring to get to see what other people are doing in their lives. And and I think it helps not be overwhelmed with what you think could happen. Well, thanks for that. You know, Aaron's also one of our hope advocates. And so, you know, that's really one of the big things that we try to do at Hope Story is say, hey, everyone, even if you don't have a blog, even if you're not in D.C. doing amazing work, everybody has a story of hope that can then be a source of hope to someone else. And so we want to help, you know, equip parents, encourage parents and and help them to share their story with other people because everyone has a story. Every single person who has a child with Down syndrome has a story and your story can bring infinite hope to someone else. Let me ask you this. So what has surprised you about raising a child with Down syndrome? Besides just that she's like any other child, because really, I mean, that that was a surprise to me, just how much our lives were so, you know, typical. <laughs> um, I hate to say it that way, but just so typical. Really, I just think how amazing it is. I, I And honestly, also, if I can add another thing, just how inspirational she's been to others. Just our community has come together. Our friends have come together and just been so supportive. Our network, love her. She's inspired so many things just within our own friend world, church. And that's been a really neat thing to see, just how everything about it is wonderful. Yeah, no, that's good. You know, it's it's interesting because before having a child with Down syndrome, if, if I was in, say, a church service and someone was on stage giving a story about raising a child with Down syndrome. And they said that. They said, oh, this has been really great. I would say, (laughs) that's what you're supposed to say. You're supposed to say that. But it's being on this side of the table, you can go, no, that's, it's really true. I really believe that. It really is. That has been a net positive being Noah's dad. I think that's one of the reasons I, as much as I appreciate the comment of only, you know, you could do this, you've been chosen, is hard for me just because I'm, I want to say, but you could too. It's not because I'm me in some small way. In fact, I'll say that I was probably somebody because of my own insecurities that may have walked away from somebody with Down syndrome because I, not because of them, but because I didn't know what to say. I didn't know how to handle it. I was scared. And so I don't think there's anything about me that is special that would have made me the person the person supposedly that was chosen to have somebody with Down syndrome, to have a child. I just think that it turns out to be just so wonderful. And this child is so wonderful. And we all love our children that it's not just something we say. It's something you can do. Any any of you. Well, okay. So you're on this journey. You're, you're years into this journey. If you had a time machine and you could go back and tell Aaron something the moment you got that diagnosis, you, you you got the diagnosis, you were in your car, you were driving home from the doctor's office. If you were sitting in that passenger seat and could lean over and say, hey, Aaron, I got to tell you something from the future, what would you tell yourself? Um, besides that you have no idea how great it will be, it'd be 
how it's going to make you such a better person. You're just going to be changed forever in such a good way. And it's going to be life-changing for you. It's going to be life-changing for those around you. How it's going to connect you with people in a way that you never thought. How it's going to strengthen your faith. Just any way that you can think of it in a positive way. Um, And just how much you're going to love them. That is great. I would echo all of that. Are you the parent of a child with Down syndrome and interested in sharing your story on a future episode of the Hope Story podcast? If so, please visit hopestory.org forward slash podcast and let us know. We may end up featuring your family's story on a future episode. And now back to our show. So a couple of other questions. And one of those questions are, what have been some of the resources that have been helpful to you as you've been a parent to CC? Well, you, and I really mean that, not just because we're talking, you know that. I got so excited. It's the funniest story. I have to share it here, Rick, and and, um, just how I had read Noah's blog. You were like a celebrity to me because you were my blog. I would read you instead of anything else because I said, this is a dad. This is a family, a mom with a pediatrician. I used to print out your wife's pieces on drinking from a straw, walking, crawling, and, and read them and say, wow, this is what they're doing. Okay, I can apply this. And then separately, I saw, you know, Hope Story start and I gave to Hope Story. So he sent me an email and then we got on the phone and I said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. It's your Noah's dad. (laughs) And I, you know, and I had to say thank you. You know, thank you because I got to, you know, see somebody living with a child with Down syndrome. And that was what I listened to instead of all the websites from different places that said, this is what they'll struggle with. These are the diseases they tend to have. These are the conditions. It's what you'll have to do. So that was a great resource to me. And then, you know, I was connected with a lot of moms. I mean, you know, and um, as we all know, other moms are some of your best resources. The Global Down Syndrome Foundation, when we were connected with Michelle, has been an incredible resource. We go out to the clinic, the C Center for Down Syndrome, and see their PTs and their speech therapists and connect. And once you kind of connect with them, you know, they'll answer questions for you. I look at their website for other stories. Actually, I look at their website in, and they put out a lot of stories on other kids and things people are accomplishing and things people are working on and things that are groundbreaking, right. For our kids. But then also I think locally, you know, when you start to get into your network of PTs and speech therapists and your programs that are given through local government, you know, those are great resources if you'll ask questions. You know, I would ask questions while they were here. I would ask questions to doctors and question things about how they happen. And then I would go look for other people to talk to. So I think the big thing is creating your own resources. So so making sure that, you know, you ask questions to those people and try to use whatever you can that's out there. And so all the therapists we got and all the programs we were put into, I just thought were so helpful because they led me to something else. They'd say, check out this website or go talk to this person. So I think if you're willing to ask questions, you can create your own resources too. Yeah, that's really great. All right, three more questions. The next one is, what are some of the dreams that you have for Cece and how are they similar and different than that of your other daughter? This might be a little bit of a different answer. I actually find that after having Cece, she changed my dreams for Amelia. I think like every parent, even if we don't realize it, we want for our children what we had. We want their experiences to be similar. We want them to have, if you went to homecoming, you want them to go to homecoming. 
right? You, you want that story for them. If you went to college, you want them to go to college. You want them to get married. You, you have this ideal in your mind, them wanting to have what you had. And of course, that's blown out of the water, you think, when you get a prenatal diagnosis of Down syndrome. You think so. You think, oh, she's never going to have or he's never going to have the life I thought and your dreams are over. But what I think, when I started thinking about Cece and it made me so happy, I came to the realization that, you know, it was her life and her story. She doesn't know what I had and she doesn't have to have what I had. It's going to be her story. Whatever she does, whatever she does for work, whatever she does in school, whatever she does after and later is her story and her life. And I just want her to have happiness, people to treat her well, and for her to feel like she accomplished things that she set for herself. And so it's interesting, once I figured that out, sort of, as best I could for Cece, I've been trying as much as I can to apply it to Amelia as well, my older child. And that's hard for, you know, as a parent, you know, to say, I'm happy no matter what she does. And it doesn't have to be my story. And, and as long as she's happy and she reaches those goals and things that she wants to do, then that, that those are my dreams for her. That's really good. Thank you for sharing that. One of the things that Abby and I said after Noah was born was that we sort of had to mourn the loss of our imaginary child. We sort of made this kid up in our mind before Noah was born of the things that he would do, what he would be like, where he'd go to college. All of these things that you do, you sort of make up this imaginary story for this child while they're in your you know, wife's belly or they're in your, your, your womb while you're pregnant. And then we found out that Noah was born with Down syndrome. And so we just had to say, hey, some of these dreams, some of these thoughts that we had for Noah, we're probably going to have to mourn those. those. Those things probably aren't, may not happen the way that we thought, and that's okay. And also, that kid that we had sort of made up never really even existed. This Noah, this was the kid that was always there. And so it's his story and his life, and we're going to support him, whatever he does. For, and not just for Noah, but for all of our kids. Okay, two more questions. And you sort of touched on this a little bit earlier in our conversation, but how has your perspective towards people with Down syndrome changed after having CC? I guess I'd use this example. I remember going to the park before I ever had CC, and I saw a father playing with his son that had Down syndrome. And I smiled, and I thought it was so sweet. And I don't, I don't know what I thought. Maybe I, I don't know if I thought sympathy. I don't. I thought it was a very special moment. But I don't know if I looked at it with, wow, how lucky is he? Obviously, now I look and I, I can see the absolute gift that it is and just how amazing. And and also just seeing how hard Cece works. She's extremely determined and she works really hard. All of our children do when they have challenges, you know, and watching any child that has challenges work really hard, you're in awe. And so when I meet Frank Stevens, when, when I get to meet people with Down syndrome, anybody, whether they've done what Frank Stevens has done or they're, you know, just going to school and having friends and living their, their, their lives, I'm in awe because they're working so hard and they're enjoying it so much. So there's, there's a little bit of that more awe now and also just seeing what a gift it is. And, and I think that's across the board for, for anybody with what we see as, you know, challenges or developmental difficulties or challenges, but, or delays, I guess, um, developmental delays. But I... I think I'm in awe of what they do. And I'm also more willing to go up and approach 
because I, I think I, and I, I'm stealing this from somewhere, some mother who's written this somewhere and saying, please don't tell your kids to stay away from my child or be careful with my child. Instead, please approach us. Please talk to us. Please ask questions. Please play with her because that's what she wants. That's great. I think about, you know, before Noah was born, if I was, you know, say at a Chick-fil-A or at a Kroger or, or I, you know, at a Walmart and I saw a greeter, maybe they had special needs or maybe an employee with special needs, I might, you know, tragically, I might have felt sorry for them. I might have felt like maybe pity in a sense. And now my perspective is really changed. When I see someone with Down syndrome out and about in public or working somewhere, man, I'm excited. I, I, I want to celebrate that. I want to take a picture with him. Like I'm, it really has changed the way I look at, at people for the better. Well, I love talking to parents. I don't know if people think I'm strange or not, but I will, I will approach people or talk to them. That's just my nature though. And just I talk to them or ask them about it or say hello. We were in Ireland and I had so much fun because we saw somebody with Down syndrome almost every day when we were in Ireland. Um, it has a very large population. It's a very small country. And I just, it was pretty cool. I would talk to parents and, and I love that aspect of it as well. Cause we all want to talk to each other and talk yeah. about what a, what an awesome gift we've been given. Yeah. We were in Switzerland this summer and, and we met some families that have kids with Down syndrome. And you just realize that it doesn't matter where you go in the world. Families love their kids. Families of kids with Down syndrome, especially love their children. That's a universal just kind of a universal truth that I have found to be true. Last question, and this perhaps may be the most important question to a parent who's listening. If there's a new mom out there listening, a mom who maybe is listening to this podcast on the way home from a doctor's appointment where she just found out that the little baby that she's carrying in her tummy is going to have Down syndrome, what would you say to encourage that mom? Well, I'd say grieve because you're going you're gonna to grieve. And I, and I get emotional. It's funny. This is the part that makes me the most emotional. You know what? You're going to grieve. Do it. And feel every emotion that you're going to have because they're all real. And don't feel bad about it. Don't. But you will be okay. And you are going to be so happy. And everything about it is wonderful. And your life is going to be different and better for it. And so congratulations and good luck. Thank you. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you for being on the podcast. Thanks for making time. I know you got a lot going on in your world. So thanks for making some time to be with us today. And um, we're just a big, big fan of your family. We champion you guys. We're rooting for Cece. We can't wait to continue to follow her story. And um, we're just really thankful for you guys. Thanks for being on today. Well, thanks, Rick. All right. Well, thank you everyone for listening to this episode of the Hope Story Podcast. And we will see you again on another episode real soon. Thank you for listening to the Hope Story podcast. On our website at hopestory.org, you can find this episode's show notes, subscribe to our email list, and learn about how Hope Story is working to connect every OBGYN in America to a family raising a child with Down syndrome through our Hope Advocate process. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please be sure to leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe to our podcast. We'll be back soon with another episode of the Hope Story podcast.